Zechariah chapter 3, and uh, we're going to get in the text and join me there if you can and would. Uh, I've, I, of course, we've been in Zechariah now for about five weeks. We've been going verse by verse. Zechariah is a very relevant book to what we're at right now uh, with the state of Israel, with all the things that are going on in, in Israel today, but also uh, what's coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this coming. He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years, and he has a plan and a purpose for Israel uh, Zechariah, of course, was one that was to preach the message to Israel in the day of the Lord. Uh, he's to preach a message of returning to the Lord. And if you return to me, I will return to you. Haggai's message was rebuild the temple. Uh, you've been building up your houses and, and you have these nice houses, but your temple uh, is, uh, is desolate and it's not finished. And so uh, he said, build that temple. Zechariah preaches the message. Well, then the Lord uh, reveals some visions to Zechariah. The first vision, of course, we see the horseman, the red rider, and what the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord, meant to uh, Zechariah as, a, as the, the horseman that he's there to protect and defend and, and to provide. The second vision that we see, of course, is the visions of the horns and the craftsmen that come. The third vision is a man that measures Jerusalem uh, out for the blessings, the overflow, if you will. Uh, he's going to bless Jerusalem. Uh, there's going to be a city without walls. There's no going to be any borders. It's going to be so blessed by God that uh, it will be a city without walls, is what, what the angel of the Lord says, that, that interpreting angel. We come to then Zechariah chapter 3, we see a vision of Joshua, the high priest. Joshua is a leader, a spiritual leader in the time of Israel. He returns from Babylon with 50,000 along with Zechariah, along with Zerubbabel, along with Nehemiah. Here, uh, Joshua would have been the high priest. He would have been the one that interceded uh, between God and Israel. He would have been one that would have been very prevalent in that time, the spiritual example of Israel. He would have been the spiritual picture of Israel. He was the high priest. You can read about Joshua in Ezra chapter 10, the reason that, that we see that he needed uh, God's righteousness, he needed a cleansing, is because his sons had been committing adultery and been given over to strange wives and godless pagan people and they were basically mixed marriaging. They were adding God and something else and Israel was very guilty of that and Joshua's own sons had committed sins against a holy God. Well, we see in, in Zechariah chapter 3, we see Joshua in this fourth vision is basically Zechariah is having this vision about Joshua standing before the Lord. But there's somebody else in that dream or that vision along with Joshua, and it's Satan. Satan is, his name means opposer. He is opposition. He is an accuser. The Bible calls him a accuser of the brethren. Somehow God allows Satan to uh, accuse us to God. He allows sometimes to even attack us in a way. God allows those things to happen. And you know when Satan is accusing, you know who God is pleading our case. He is he's he's interceding for us. God comes to our defense. God is a very present help in the time of trouble. Can I get an amen? He's a very present help. So, let's start in in Zechariah chapter 3. By the way, Zechariah is a minor prophet, but it's one of the most quoted books in all of the Bible. 
It's quoted 71 times in the New Testament, 22 times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and 30 sometimes, I think it's 31 times, just in the book of Revelation. It's a very quoted book. Why? Because it has such importance in it. It has such prophecy in it, but yet so very relevant for today. Chapter 3 of Zechariah deals with the religious leader, Joshua. I want us to look at this fourth vision of the high priest in chapter 3. We see a priest that is purified. Here we have one of the clearest portraits of grace and the gift of salvation in all of your Bible, especially the New Testament or the Old Testament. Joshua is returning from Babylon with Zechariah. Let's start in verse number 1. The Bible says, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing on his right, at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Thank, thank you, Lord, for what you did in the earlier service, and thank you, Lord, for what you did in my heart personally. Now, Lord, I pray that the folks that are in this building today, those that are in classes, those that are in the auditorium, those that are even at the other campus this morning, those that are in the overflow watching, I pray that, God, you will anoint this service. Lord, if there's someone here today that is lost and undone without Christ, I pray that they'll be saved today. There are folks in here that have heavy hearts this morning. I know. I've, I've already spoken to some that have heavy hearts. And, Lord, there's people that are sick that are watching live stream. There's some that are even in the hospital. And, Lord, we're praying for them. And, Lord, some have even walked through the valley of the shadow of death recently. And, Lord, we're praying for them. And, God, I pray that you would feed your people this morning from the Word of God. I pray that you would anoint this service and your servant in Jesus' name. Amen. I see a cleansing in the first four verses of Zechariah chapter 3. If you go back with me in verse number 1, as I said, Joshua the high priest is standing uh, before the angel of the Lord. This is an Old Testament, uh, uh, Old Testament picture of Christ before Bethlehem, of course. And he's standing on the right hand, uh, uh, or he's standing in front of the Lord, and Satan is standing at his right hand to resist him. Verse number 2, the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke. Thee. So the Lord is rebuking Satan. And by the way, I believe it's best that we leave that to the Lord to do. Nowhere in Scripture do I find that we are commanded to rebuke Satan in our own self. The only time that I find in Jude chapter uh, 1 and verse number 9 is Michael the archangel is rebuking Satan himself and in a battle. And here the Lord is rebuking uh, Satan uh, because he is, he is uh, attacking uh, the uh, Joshua the high priest. He's accusing Joshua the high priest priest 
And I, I see no place that we are commanded to rebuke uh, Satan in our own self. We are commanded to rebuke the Lord, uh, or commanded to rebuke Satan in, in our uh, own selves. We're not commanded to do that. We need the Lord, the authority of the Lord. And when Satan talks to us about God, he lies. But when he talks to God about us, he tells the truth. Think about this for a second. He lies. The Bible calls him a father of lies. So he is a liar and the father of it. But can I say, when he, when he uh, talks to us about God, he lies. But when he talks to God about us, he tells the truth. You know yourself. You know what you are. You know what you're capable of. You know how wicked you are. Hey, listen, all of us can come to church with a new set of clothes on, and we can come to church with uh, all kinds of different things on to look nice, but we know our heart. The Bible says that our heart is deceitful and above all desperately wicked. Who can know it? We know that our heart is wicked, and we know what we're capable of. And guess what Satan likes to do? He likes to go to God, and he likes to say, God, do you see that man down there? Do you see that pastor there? You see what he's capable of doing? And listen, and he is always right. Why? Because we have plenty to be accusatory of. We have plenty that we're guilty of. But you know what? When God sees us, you know what he sees us and we're saved and covered in the blood? He sees the blood of Christ. We have been clothed in his righteousness. And so he says in verse number two, Rebuke thee, O Satan. You leave that up to, for the Lord to do. Don't you in your own strength try to rebuke the Lord? Don't you in your own strength try to do it in your own power? Listen, anytime we are up against Satan, we need the Lord's help. Let me just say this. Anytime we do anything, we need the Lord's help. Amen? And yet here he rebukes him. The angel of the Lord rebukes Satan. He says something very interesting in verse number two. Look at that last phrase in verse number two. It's a question. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Is this not a piece of charred wood? Is this not a destroyed stick that's pulled out of a consuming fire? All of you have created a fire before. This is, this is fire pit season. This is a bonfire season. These cool nights, these cold mornings, whatever. You like to build a fire. I love fires. I do. I, I love them almost to the point where I, I, I feel like I've got a problem. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, if you'll watch my videos, you're like, man, that guy likes to burn stuff up. I love it. I got a flamethrower. It shoots 30 feet. And I just hit a button. It's like, boom, it consumes anything. And anyway, I just had to get that off my chest this morning. Uh, you need to see it. Go on my Instagram. You can watch me burn up stuff. Well, you know, I love fire, especially... Uh, some of you's like, oh, this guy's crazy. I'm telling you, though, you got to watch it. It's great. It's great, 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 wholesome. And um, so wholesome, I'm telling you, it is. And sometimes you just need to have a release, right? There's nothing like seeing something burn uh, that's not, nothing good, but, you know, everything bad. Last year we took those pumpkins, those jack-o'-lanterns, you know, people carved them, you know, that satanic stuff. You know what I'm talking about? I'm joking. But we took those pumpkins and I piled them up and I made this stupid video about me burning these jack-o'-lanterns. How many of you seen that? It was great. I had scary music on it. And uh, you say, this pastor is dement. I know. I'm deranged. I understand that. But I do like to see it. This is fire pit season. I love the smell of just wood burning, whether it be in a, a, a wood place, a fireplace, or a, a fire pit. I love to smell it. This is the analogy. Listen to me. This is the analogy that Zachariah is giving 
in this vision. He said, is this not a piece of charred wood? Is this not a stick? He calls it a brand. That's what it is. And he pulls it out of a fire. He said, this is exactly what we are. We are a fire brand or a brand pulled or plucked out of the fire. And when John Wesley, at the age of six, that great Methodist preacher, when he heard uh, this verse... He said it just it, it struck a chord in his heart because it took him back to at the age of six when he was in a house fire and the house was almost consumed with fire and everybody had gotten to safety except John Wesley, little John Wesley. They forgot about getting him out of that back, back bedroom and a neighbor climbed up on the shoulders of some people that was around watching this fire, climbed up on the shoulders and went through a window and grabbed him by the shoulders at six years old and pulled him from the flames. And John Wesley would always say about this verse, Zechariah chapter uh, 2 or chapter 3 rather, in verse number 2, he said that, that this was a great gripping moment for him when he, when he realized that all I am is a brand plucked from the fire. Hey, I've got news for you this morning. If you're saved by the grace of God and you've been blood-bought and washed by His blood and saved and can rejoice that I know that my name's in heaven, listen, you are a brand plucked from the fire. Literally, the fires of hell. If you walk in them doors thinking that you are somebody, thinking that you deserve this and deserve that, I've got news for you this morning. All we deserve is fire. And if we've been plucked from the fire, listen, if, if we've been rescued from the fire, we are nothing more than a sinner saved by his marvelous grace. And we're plucked from the fire for the use of the master. He's pulled us from the fire. See, all God's people have experienced being rescued from the fire. So how can we conduct ourselves in a usefulness having the cleanness of the Spirit of God. Notice in verse number 3, the Bible says this, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. Notice that. That word filthy is a strong word in the Hebrew. It's not just dirty. It's not just us going out here and sliding in the grass and getting grass stains on us or going to play in the dirt or a mud hole or, or somewhere. No, no, this is, this is a excrement. This is... Feces. This is nasty, smelly things on a clean white robe. If you want to know what Jesus or God thought about uh, the robes, the priestly robes, you could go over to Exodus chapter 29 or, or Numbers chapter 18 and you can read about the robes that the priest had and the mitre that he wore on his head and the breastplate and all the things. They were just beautiful, but they were set aside for, for, for a purpose. And so this robe that Joshua has on in this vision is tattered. It's, it's dirty. The Bible calls it filthy. And it has not dirt on it. It has excrement on it. It stinks. It's smelly. How many of you has got a dog this morning? You've got dogs. we we got dog lovers. Your dog sometimes will leave presents in the yard, right? And so you're getting out of your car and you're walking. See, kids used to play outside. They don't do it anymore. How many of you can identify when you played outside when you were a kid and you stepped in a present left by a dog? The first thing we did was rake it on the corner, right? Can I just, just help me here? And we raked it off and we're like, ooh, that's nasty. And then we'd sit down, take our shoe off and get a stick. And we would clean the little parts out, the little uh, tracks in our shoes, and then we would go to the water hose and we would spray it off. 
We didn't want that filth. And let me just say this. If your mama was like my mama, uh, she wouldn't let you come in because the moment she smelled it, she'd say, you get back outside and you're not allowed to be in it. You know, and she would tell you, you don't step in that stuff and then walk into a clean home and have uh, a clean home there and have a hope. Thank you so much, Brother Mike. I'm dying up here. Let's give a hand for Mike this morning. There's no way to do that unless he throws it to me. Mike, next time, just say, hey, got it. Your mother would not let you in this, in your home, that clean home, if you walked in with that present on your shoe. No, I'm calling it a present. You know, we, we, you know what we are. And, and you walk inside and it's smelly and it's dirty. You're tracking it across the carpet or the wood floor and you don't do that. Listen, how in the world can we walk into the holy of holies, the holy place, and meet with God with the filth of the world on us? Listen, we need to go to a holy God. He said in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We need to confess our sin to God and say, God, I need to, I need to rub the, I need the blood of Christ. I need to get this off of me. Hey, that's exactly what the Lord Jesus is doing here. Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 64, he said, but all, uh, we are like an unclean thing and all of our, unri- all of our righteousness or as filthy rags. So our righteousness compared to a holy God is filthy. You say, Pastor, the very best I can do. Listen to me. If you read your Bible every day for all year, if you uh, prayed every day, and that's great, if you gave money to the poor and, and fed the poor, if you were a faithful husband, if you were a faithful wife, if you were a good daddy and a good mother, you say, and an outstanding church member, and you say, Pastor, I am a good person. You may be a good person compared to others, but you are not a good person compared to the Holy One. Because the very best you can do is filthy rags compared to him. He is so holy. He is so pure. He is so righteous. He is so altogether lovely. He's everything. Listen, there's not a spot. There's not a stain. There's nothing compared to our Savior. And the very best Christian in this room compared to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Isaiah 64, is nothing more than filthy rags. But I want you to notice something. Something changes in verse number 4. The Bible says, and, he, and, and Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. Verse 4, And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. Take away the filthy garments. So the angel of the Lord looks at this filthy garment that is wore by the most spiritual man in Israel. And he says, take that filthy garment from him. Remove it. He's saying now, not only does he need a cleansing, but he needs a clothing. Because he he says, take that iniquity away from him. Take that sin, that sinful garment. Notice what else it says. And unto him, he said, behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. That's a wonderful verse because there's only one person that can do that for us. We can't change our own raiment. We can't clean ourselves up. There's only one that can clean us up, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, take that raiment off and put it on. Now notice uh, verse number 5. He says, and I said, let them set a fair mitre 
That mitre is a turban. It was a headwear that the the priest would wear, a, a holy garment. He said, set that fair mitre upon his head. And they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. So he wears this priestly turban, this headwear. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 28. You can read about it in Numbers chapter 18. But it was a headwear that the priest would wear. And notice who's doing the clothing, church. Notice this. It's the angel of the Lord that is doing the clothing. It's the angel of the Lord that said, put this on him. Put this robe, this clean robe on him. Put this miter upon his head. You know, Adam and Eve, if you go all the way back to Genesis, when Adam and Eve tried to hide their guilt, remember uh, they tried to sow fig leaves and they were trying to hide it and, and kind of cover the sin. That's the first thing we do when we sin. We try to cover our sin, right? We can't cover sin. Only the blood of Christ covers sin. Is that, is that I'm not correct? Hey, he said, uh, he, uh, the angel of the Lord uh, came to them and said, put a miter on his head. See, When Adam and Eve sinned, they tried to clothe themselves. But then God said, let me kill an animal and sacrifice. This was a picture of Christ. And he killed that animal and he put that skin upon those and covered their nakedness, the Bible said. He covered them with skins. And so when God works salvation, we're kind of seeing a picture of salvation. When God works salvation, he first rebukes our adversary, according to verse number 2. He said, rebuke thee, O Satan. He then plucks them from the pit. So he saved us. He rescued us from the miry pit of sin. He rescued us from hell. Aren't we a brand that has been pulled from the fire? So we've been saved. We've been plucked from the pit. He removes our dirty sins. That's exactly what he did. You said, Pastor, you have no idea what I did when I was a kid. You had no idea what I did when I was a teenager. You have no idea what I did when I was adult. I'm guilty of sin. I'm guilty of terrible sin. Hey, I've got good news for you. It doesn't matter how wicked you were. It doesn't matter what sin you've been guilty of and how dirty your garment is. We have a precious Savior who will wash you as white as snow and take that garment and clean you up. He not only does that, he clothes us in robes of righteousness. His righteousness. There's no righteousness in us. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I mean, every one of us. Every person in here has disappointed God. We have failed God. We've missed the mark. We have not lived up to what we should as Christ. We have missed it. We have sinned. We've disappointed our Savior. We've broken God's heart. We've done something wrong. And I'm preaching to some of the best people in all the world this morning. I'm preaching to some wonderful Christians, faithful Christians. But can I tell you, it doesn't matter how faithful you think you have been. We've not been faithful enough. We've failed the Lord. We've flubbed the dub. We've messed up. We've said things we shouldn't have said and took things we shouldn't have took and done things we shouldn't have done. But aren't you thankful we have a forgiving God? a gracious God, a loving God who cleans us up and clothes us with His righteousness. His righteousness. Not only do we receive this gracious gift to stand before the Lord, He cleans us so we can be in His presence, but He also commissions us. He doesn't want us just to stand in His presence. He wants us to serve Him with our life. Sanctification. He saves you. 
seals you with his spirit, sets you apart for what? Service. He wants you to serve him with your life. So notice what he says to the, in this vision to Joshua. Verse 6 says, And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, so he pleaded unto Joshua, he commanded Joshua by this in verse 7, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, if thou wilt keep my charge, then, notice this, it's accountability, then thou shalt also judge my house and shalt keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. God cleanses his people for service. Notice he said, Joshua, if you'll do these things, church don't miss this, if you do these things, I will let you or I will allow you to keep doing what you're doing as far as leading the people spiritually, being the high priest. I will allow you to do these things. See, with forgiveness comes great responsibility. God does not just forgive you so you can do nothing. God forgives you so that you can be a responsible Christian and serve him with your life. Serve, you, serve him with your life. So Joshua, we are expected, just like Joshua, expected to follow the Lord's commands and lead by example. Now remember the name Joshua, it, it means Jehovah is salvation. His very name. There's salvation That's the example. So when people would have heard the name Joshua, they would have said Jehovah is salvation. See, names meant something back in the day, especially in the Bible days. They named a son or a daughter after something, and it was something special, or maybe it was a a downtime. Maybe it was a, a time where things were bitter and unpleasant. They would name a child that, or maybe it was a time of a thanksgiving or or honor or praise to the Lord. They would name a child after that. Joshua's name means Jehovah is salvation. So remember, we have been commissioned to take the gospel. Here, here's what I believe. I believe we've been, we've been set apart. We've been saved. We've been sealed by the Spirit of God. We can't lose our salvation. And we've been commissioned to go into the world and to lead others to Christ. Tell them about the great grace of God. Tell them about how good he is. Tell them about all that he has done for you. Tell them your story about how you used to be filthy, clothed with the guilt of sin, clothed with all the things and unrighteousness, and yet he came and restored you back into the family of God. Amen? Gave you the righteousness, and he put that new robe on you. Tell them about that. But then I see something. Look with me in verse number 8. The Bible says, Hear now, O Joshua the priest the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. This is Jesus in your Bible, capital B-R-A-N-C-H. Do you see that? It's all capitalized. Listen, that's none other than Christ himself. He said there's going to no longer be a high priest. And let me just say this. There's no need for a high priest today. Why? Because according to Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 6, we're made kings and priests. Amen? And and I think it's Hebrews chapter 4. It tells us that we can go to the throne boldly. 
exactly what the priests used to do when they would intercede for the sins on the behalf of Israel to God. They would go into the Holy of Holies and take the blood and apply it to the mercy seat. There's no need for that anymore. Why? Because Christ died on the cross, he shed his blood, and we have access to the throne room of God. He's made us kings and priests according to Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. But the branch, he said, I'm going to send the branch. If you would, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11, real quick. Isaiah chapter 11. I want to show you what this branch means. This is a prophecy. Isaiah chapter 11. And look with me. I believe it's in the first... Starts in the first verse. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse number 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now you understand this, get this picture. At this time, this was a downtime in the nation of Israel. Think about it. The root, the, 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 the very trunk of Jesse, the stem of Jesse, the, the stem of David rather, the, the trunk of David, it has been dead, it's been dried up. But Isaiah says, in Isaiah chapter 11, he said, out of this trunk will be a branch And the Spirit of the Lord, according to verse 2, shall rest upon him. This is the stem that comes. Listen to me. Everything about Jesus is alive. There is no deadness with the Lord Jesus Christ. Though the trunk was dead, though it seemed like the trunk of Jesse was dead and the dynasty of David was gone and Israel had failed the Lord, they had been in captivity all these years in Babylon, it seemed like everything was over. Hey, there was a a branch. There was a shoot. I was over in Israel uh, in January and I walked into a, basically an orchard, but it it was a wine press. And in old Nazareth, they, they literally have Nazareth, which was the town that Jesus grew up in. They have it still, uh, a lot of Nazareth is city now, but Nazareth uh, is, they have a part of Nazareth that's kind of like the old Nazareth. And you can go in there and they have uh, these olive trees and they've got some wine presses and they've got some different things there. And there was a, a tree there that looked like it had died. And the Tour guide, he said, now I want you to walk over here with me in this dead tree, this dead-looking tree. He said, I want you to look what's coming out of this dead tree, out of this dead, look out of the ground. And we walked over to the ground, and out of the ground, there was a stem that had life. It was beautiful and green. It had green leaves on it. And he said, though this tree looks dead, and though it's not producing what we think it ought to produce, in that is some life left. And that's exactly what Isaiah the prophet was saying. He said, though it may look dead, though the trunk may look dead and dried up, out of that is a stem of life. Who was that stem? It was the Lord Jesus Christ, the branch. He was the life giver. And by the way, he's, not, he's, he's come to give life and life more abundantly. So he's the branch and he's come to do something. I want you to notice what the branch has come to do. Notice in uh, Zechariah chapter 3 again, notice what he has done in verse number, uh, I've lost my place, verse number 9, for behold the stone that I have laid before Joshua. Now he's not only a branch, but he's a stone. The stone is another name for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's another picture of the Lord. Notice what this, he said, upon one stone shall be seven eyes 
talking about the completion and perfection of our Lord. He can see everything on the earth. The, the seven eyes, I believe, represents the Lord's knowledge and the Lord's wisdom, and it's perfect and complete. And notice he said, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. This is prophetic. The stone means something in Scripture. If we were to go to Ephesians chapter 2, the stone, another title for Christ. To the church, the stone is the foundation and chief cornerstone. The very foundation of this church is not Peter. It's not Paul. It's not any of the other apostles. It's not Moses. It's not any of the other patriarchs. The chief cornerstone of the local New Testament church is none other than Jesus Christ. According to Ephesians chapter 2, the stone is the chief cornerstone. To the Jew in his first coming, he was the stumbling stone. According to Paul, Romans chapter 9, to the Israel Jew at the second coming, he is the capstone. According to Zechariah chapter 4, these are all prophetic. To uh, the Gentile powers, he's the striking stone in Daniel chapter 2. To the divine purpose, he is the stone uh, of the great mountain that will be filled with the earth, the stone that struck the great image over all the earth in Daniel 2. And to the unbeliever, he is a stone. To them, it's called a crushing stone in Matthew 21. The stone is a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said in the latter part of Zechariah 3, that I will engrave the graving thereof and saith the Lord of hosts and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. I love verse 10. And in that day saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. What's he talking about? The millennial reign of Christ. I believe it's coming very soon. Even in Zechariah's day, this is the vision that he had. And he's saying, one day all the wrongs will made right. One day everybody will be neighbor. One day the lion will lay down with the lamb. We'll see that next chapter. One day there'll be peace on the earth. Who will bring peace? It's not a politician in Washington. It's not a dictator in another part of the world. Peace only comes from Christ. And he will rule and reign and he'll bring us under his authority and everyone, according to Zechariah, will be neighbor and friend. You think about this. What are we to do with this vision, this fourth vision? He has told us, according to this vision, the application would be this. We are to share the message of salvation. Now here in just a moment, I'm, I'm going to ask you a pointed question. How many of you would say this, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I have been washed by the blood. I have placed my faith in that finished works of Jesus Christ. I have placed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. I have done these things. I believe we are in these last days to share the message of a cleansing. We are to share the message of a clothing. And we are to share the message of a commissioning. We have been commissioned by the Lord. Church, let me just give you news before we leave. You are not commissioned to sit soaking sour on a church pew. You are to get off your blessed assurance and do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, how do I do that? You share the good news of the gospel. If you have somebody that you know that has never been saved, don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait and say, you know what, I'll share with them one day. No, no, if God has impressed it upon your heart, 
and we see the grace of God according to Zechariah in chapter 3, if we see that clearly and you can identify and say, you know what, I am saved. I've been blood-bought by the Lamb of God. I've been purchased at Calvary. I'm saved uh, by His grace. If you know that for sure, why are you not telling anybody? Why are you not telling anybody? We heard good singing just a minute ago about salvation and grace and the testimony of the Lord and how faithful He is. We heard that and we can rejoice and we can cheer and we can say, oh, that did something for my heart. But then we leave and we we just don't do nothing about it. I have been determined in these last days to be more of a fervent witness than I've ever been. And I'm not saying that to boast because God knows I have so much room to grow. But let me tell you something. We got to get fervent in our witness. We see the grace of God. Grace is not just in the New Testament. Grace was here from the foundation of the world. We see it all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Zacharias sees it, and guess what? He tells us about it. And if God can have grace on nasty Israel, and if God can have grace on any lost sinner, God will have grace all the way through to the millennial reign of Christ. It's grace all the way through. It's grace all the way through. Listen, ask yourself this morning a personal question. Do I know the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior? I do believe that, and if you don't see it, I I, I don't know. know, Like I said before, prophecy are not being fulfilled. Prophecy has been fulfilled. Fulfilled. Here's what we're seeing. Church, pay attention. What we're seeing in Israel right now, what we're seeing in these other countries in the Middle East, and not only the Middle East, but now we're seeing it in Europe. And we're starting to hear rumors of it in America about war, war, war. What's all of this saying? All of it's just showing us that the Word of God is true. Churches, should be filled every time we meet. Don't tell me that you believe we're living in the last days and you stay home on Sunday. That's such a mockery. Oh, preacher, I believe we're living in the last days. I believe he's coming. If he's coming, then why can't we find you on Sunday? And let me ask you another question. If you believe Jesus is coming, why are you not living for him? Why are you not living for the Lord? If Jesus is coming and we know it's going to be soon, we'll stand before him and we know it's soon, then why are we just tiptoeing through the tulips and just playing around and being very apathetic and not being a fervent Christian for the Lord? Why are we just playing games? Listen to me. We should be fervent like we've never been before. Why? We will see him soon and very soon. That'll encourage you. You say, Pastor, I believe you're trying to wake us up. You better believe because God's trying to wake us up. We've been asleep way too long. We've been slumbering. The church of Jesus Christ has been asleep way too long. It's time that we wake up and get our witness back. This week, you ought to grab some gospel tracts out here, gospel literature. They're in every exit just about. You ought to go over there and say, you know what, I'm going to at least hand one of these out to someone. Why? Because it's seed. It's seed. You're sowing seed out in the field. You say, well, pastor, what if they don't get saved? What if they don't? You were faithful. What they do with salvation is what they do. You understand, witness. If all you can do is just hand a track out, witness. If you want to go a step further, 
open your mouth and say, are you a Christian? Do you know the Lord is your Savior? You know what I have found? Is most of the time when I do that, I don't ever get treated rudely. You say, Pastor, what if somebody's so rude to me? What if they are? The chances are somebody's going to take that and they'll answer the question. Why are we not being more fervent in our witness? If God has shown you grace, if God has shown you love, and I believe all of us would admit, yes, God has shown us grace. Yes, God has shown us love. Yes, God has been so good to us. Then this, why are we not telling anybody? Why are we not telling anybody? Church, listen, God has put someone on your heart. God has put someone on your heart. This is my prayer. God has put someone on your heart today to witness to, to pray for, to love. I think we ought to spend some time in prayer for him. And if you're lost here this morning, you say, Preacher, I've just never been saved. You're in a great place. Today is the day of salvation. Now's the accepted time. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus today.